You're listening to the Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. We just popped by live to talk a little bit about the three guiding questions that guide me in times of crisis, and there's nothing like the what's going on in the coronavirus realm um, to, you know, exemplify a crisis situation. And so before we dig into it, first of all, if you're joining me live, say hi, let me know where in the world you're from, tell me if you're in quarantine, um, tell me how this is hitting you, how you're experiencing it, what's going on, I'd love to hear. Um, And I just want to start with a quick disclaimer, which is that this is for you if it serves you. I don't know what your unique situation is. Um, You know, I know that this is uh, being experienced by the entire world in completely different and ever-changing ways. Um, I know many people are suffering. I know this is a very real situation with very real health ramifications and economic ramifications. And so none of what I'm about to say is to belittle any of that. It's only to counteract some of the fear, a lot of the fear that we're all experiencing and a lot of the panic that we're all experiencing. So hi to everyone who's already logging in and already joining me live. Huge welcome. Um, And yeah, just we're going to talk about this kind of worst case scenario thinking and what uh, what serves us, what might serve us, what might serve us. And what I mean by that is even in the worst situations, even when the absolute, you know, worst comes to the worst, which is not the case right now, but even when that does happen in the world, right, in history, for example, there are ways that serve us and there are ways that don't, ways of handling that situation that serve us and serve our children and ways that don't. And it's just helpful in real time. I hope it's helpful. I'm offering this in case it's helpful to ground ourselves in what does server. So this is not about me uh, having answers, Um, but I will share three questions that guide how I handle crises. And I've been through some other crises before in my life. You know, I've I've lived through uh, periods of terror, periods of war, uh, recessions that we've all been through, etc. And so some of this might feel familiar in some ways and different in other ways. Um, and we can just hold space for that difference. But let me just tell you the questions that are guiding me and let me know if this is helpful to you. Um, and again, if you're joining me live, let me know where in the world you're from. Tell me what, what's going on in your part of the world or in your quarantine situation, etc. So my first question that guides me, um, especially as a parent, but just as a human being, is who do I want to be? You see, I am a big believer in brain plasticity plasticity, in our ability to change, in our ability to choose who we are, in humans' ability to overcome even the, the most extreme adversity, right? And I think that we kind of quote-unquote measure, not that we need to measure, but that we quote-unquote measure our character or we learn who we truly are in how we choose to show up uh, to the challenges in life, right? It's easier to be a kind, happy, optimistic, helpful person when there's prosperity, when there's ease, right? And it's so much more challenging when there's challenge, of course, that often brings out our shadows, right? Our demons, our our fears. Uh, It can trigger our traumas. It can just put us in the worst version of ourselves. And so I like to gamify my life. You know, I really see life as a game. Um, And I think it's just so much more fun to walk through life with a lightness in our step and to be like, whoa, you know, like Super Mario. And you have to jump over the turtles and you 
duck under the fires and whatever and grab the gold coins. And so when the going is good, you grab the good going and you enjoy the abundance. And when there's challenging crisis, you have to see how you sidestep it, how you handle it. And I don't only mean by washing our hands and staying home and quarantines and all of that. I also mean mentally, right? How we stay in the game, how we show up as that, you know, resilient self, as our gritty self, as our optimistic self, all of those things. So how do we measure our capacity for love, right? Even when things are uncertain, when things are hard, right? Do I want to be a person of faith? Do I want to be an optimist? Do I want to be a giver, a helper? Do I want to be someone who spreads love or spreads panic? Do I want to believe in the triumph of good or not? Do I want to believe in the capacity to overcome, to heal, to manage? Do I want to trust my fellow human beings and the world and the universe and God or whatever your belief system is, right? Do I want to speculate or do I want to stay grounded in logic and fact, right? Do I want to double down on my fear, on my concern, on my controlling aspects, right? Do I want to like ground myself in fear or do I want to ground myself in gratitude? And I have to just share a couple of memories that I have as a child. And I'm particularly thinking of us as parents, as role models, and I'll get into that in a moment. But I remember going through my parents going through a, a challenging financial time and seeing kind of this dark cloud over my dad's head as he was struggling with, you know, uh, re, you know, kind of re, um, what's it called? Like, uh, oh, yeah, healing, whatever his business, right? We, uh, 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 I, I lost the word anyway. Um, and as he was struggling with this financial uncertainty, I kind of felt my empathy go out towards him and I was like, dad, you know, I'm so sorry. It's so hard. And he would say to me, no one ever promised it would be easy. And it was just such a playful, um, mindful uh, surrender and acceptance to life as it is, right? Just who, who gave me the promise that life would be easy? Who gave me the promise that there would always be smooth sailing, right? That's, that's business. You play the game, you get into business, you're going to get burnt, you're going to have a struggle, right? You're a human being playing the human game. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be ups and downs. You invest in the stock market. There's going to be bears. There's going to be bulls. This is just life. You drive a car. There are car accidents. These are the risks that we take just by being human and having a human experience. So what I like to ask myself in these situations is who do I want to be? And the reason I say who do I want to be is because it might not come naturally to me, right? I might naturally have a lot of anxiety or a lot of fear or a lot of panic or insomnia or, you know, all the different things that stop us being who we want to be. But when I ask myself, who do I want to be? What it helps me do is craft specific behaviors and scripts I can follow that actually reflect that me that I want to be. So in my case, I often like to imagine myself uh, older and wiser, right? Myself in 10, 20, 30 years, looking back and kind of borrow from that future wisdom right? Myself in 20 years, how am I going to look back on this, right? With that kind of patronizing, knowing smile, like, oh, you were so immature and you, you know, overreacted so much. And I like to borrow from that in real time and say, well, I can already grow into that skin by being and embodying and drawing on that future wisdom. 
Okay, so that's the first question. Who do I want to be? Let me just answer some of these comments. Amy says, I want to spread love and help the community, but I still have some background fear rooted in my science background, knowing this could go very badly if people are too loosey-goosey about things. Absolutely. And so we, you know, and Amy, you're going to embody both of those things, right? You're going to embody your, your scientific understanding and your wisdom, right? Your wisdom and your logic and your, your common sense. And also embodying spreading the love, right? So people are finding lots of creative ways of doing that. Lots of creative ways. So um, let's, let's uh, yeah, so, you know, Amy, I'm just calling you to think, how can I embody both of those things? If that's who I want to be, a scientifically grounded person, a responsible person, a person who reacts in, uh, in, in appropriate ways and who helps flatten the curve and all of that stuff, um, but I also want to spread love and not fear and help the community. How can I be that person, right? How can I step into my best skin? You know, another example that guides me is my grandma. I spoke about my dad. And as I say these, I just want you to think of the people who have touched you in your life, who handle things with grace, who handle things uh, that are above and beyond, you know, what, what humans quote unquote should experience, right? That go into full on pain and suffering. I know people who have lost children, right? Um, I know a lot of Holocaust survivors, and that's the example that I wanted to bring was my grandma, who's a Holocaust survivor, and she, her parents were murdered by the Nazis, you know? And she is so gratitude-filled. She has a bounce in her step. She is resilient and gritty and optimistic and always looking on the bright side of life and always filled with gratitude for what God has given her, right, in her own words. Always saying God is so great and how, you know, God saved her and what he gave to the family, etc. And that's alongside the pain, of course, that she experiences that isn't minimized by her optimism and her bright light that she shines. But I guess my point is that we can all be doing the exact same things, right? With the masks and the hand sanitizers and the quarantines and the shutting down events. We could all be doing all of the exact same things. And I'm talking about how we do them, right? The energy we bring to the experience, right? Is it empathy? Is it joy? Is it faith in the future? Is it uh, smiling? There is I promise you enough fear, depression, doomsaying, doomsday, all of that out there. I, I just, I guess this is a call for us to double down on the humor, on the partying, you know, inside, not necessarily outside, right? On the light, on shining the light, on showing up as our best selves. And just a reminder that it's easy to show up for life bright and shiny when everything is prosperous and healthy. How about now, you know, we put our best face on, we get dressed in a way that we feel good about, and we come to the day with zest, with joy. Even if it is the last day on earth, we might as well enjoy it, right? So either way, this call stands, right? Either way, we should, we can and should be bringing our best selves to it. Okay, the second question, the first question was, who do I want to be? The second question is, how can I help, right? How can I serve? What can I actually do? And I think this is a helpful differentiator when we see all of this information flooding us and all of the information in our own minds flooding us is putting it through the filter of what in practicality can I actually do? I, I say this often around raising children, around listening to the news in general anxieties, you know, fear of kidnapping and all the different fears that we have in our lives. We have to differentiate between, am I going to take action and do something about this, okay, versus am I going to sit here and worry? I know it's not easy to do that, but we must make that differentiation because the truth, the hard truth is that our energy 
feeding into worry and anxiety, even in our own minds, actually doesn't serve anyone. And in fact, brings us down. It brings down our health. It actually impacts your immune system. If you spend time worrying and, you know, anxious, now you're going to get anxious about being anxious. No, that's not the point. (laughs) Steer away from that. But it brings down your capacity to handle the days. Say you're currently quarantined with your kids for the next two weeks at home, right? If you layer in anxiety, if you give voice to an anxiety, if you watch the channel of anxiety during that time, you are minimizing your capacity to handle that scenario, handle that situation, right? And so if you keep being guided towards what can I do versus what can't I do? What, how can I serve versus what doesn't serve? What can I not do, right? What I'm seeing in so many of the conversations is a focus on all the things we can't do and all the ways we can't help and all the helplessness. And I want to shift that focus into crafting a clarity and vision around what we can do. Okay, maybe for you it's I can, whatever it is, I don't know, cook a great meal and have it with my family, Uh, say a prayer, whatever, give back to my community, wash my hands a lot, Uh, you know, bring my events home, go out into the garden or the local park, I don't know, it depends on what, what your situation is, right, of course, but the focus on what you can do, how can you uh, how can you help, right, how can you help yourself and how can you help others? I want to say two things about this. First, let's talk about the anxiety for a minute. And I want to remind you of Dr. Lawrence Cohen, who wrote Playful Parenting. He wrote another brilliant book called The Opposite of Worry. And I want to just remind us that our kids are looking to us right now to see how do we handle crisis, right? How do grown, mature adults handle crisis? What words do they say? What actions do they take? How are they expressing it in their body language, right? How do adults manage anxiety? How do they handle adversity? How do they show show up when things aren't easy, when things are uncertain, right? Because when we show up with anxiety, here's what happens. And he calls this the second chicken effect, right? And he says, when a chicken gets a scare, a chicken gets a scare, like, oh my God, there's a fox, right? It starts clucking and screaming and running. And the second chicken next to it might look over and think, nah, there's nothing there and stay calm. In which case, the first chicken calms down. But if the second chicken starts freaking out and screaming as well, it starts to spread and they're all continuously anxious because it's contagious, right? Anxiety is contagious. And Dr. Lawrence Cohen called us, the parents, to be the, the second chicken, the calm second chicken, the second chicken who manages their anxiety. Because it does not help. The worrying does not help. I'm not saying there's nothing to worry about. No one knows that. No one can say that. There's clearly crisis happening, right? But the um, but the ability to handle our anxieties is one of the best ways that we can help. So if that means listening a little bit less, watching a little bit less, choosing our sources more carefully and more discerningly, finding positive sources that help us develop hope as well, or simply you know, doing things that actually manage our anxiety, meditation, yoga, cooking, I don't know, whatever it is for you, opening the window and looking at the sunshine. Um, so many different things. You know, today I had a trampoline jump with my two-year-old. I'm lucky to have a garden. I know how lucky I am, even not in times of crisis. I'm lucky. Um, but I have a trampoline in my garden and my little one grabbed me by the hand and pulls me out and we're jumping in the sunshine. And I realized This isn't available to everyone, but I want to just give you a small example, right? It could be enjoying a meal together. It could be snuggling in bed together, right? There are things that are available at us that actually actually calm our nervous system and send messages of safety, of hope, of calm, 
of connection uh, with our within our realities right now okay within whatever reality you're in there are moments or ways for you to calm your nervous system and that is the most responsible thing i believe for us to do as parents alongside all the regular things that i know that you're doing like washing your hands okay so if you are out there helping those people who are suffering right i know many of us have a huge focus right now on the people who are suffering terribly, right? People who are sick, people who are immunocompromised, people who live in abusive homes and are now quarantined, people who don't have food at home. There is no shortage of people who are suffering. I need to say something a little bit tough about that, which is there is always no shortage of people who are suffering. There is always people who are suffering in the world. There are people who are experiencing genocide and war and rape and poverty and drought all over the world regularly we've just our attention has just been drawn to this particular type of suffering and this particular type of crisis right now but as strange as this might sound unless you're out there doing something for them unless you're getting you know food sent to people in poverty or helping people somehow in abusive situations or doing something for it your attention is better spent raising your own frequency and staying okay yourself so that you don't burden the system, right? So that you take care of yourself, right? This comes back to that self-care idea of putting your oxygen mask on first, taking care of your mind, staying okay within your family and protecting your children from experiencing this time as a time of trauma may be the best way to spend that energy rather than spending it spinning wheels worrying. I mean, if you're out there doing something helpful for them, I salute you. Do it, right? But if not, don't spend that extra energy there. Spend it on what you can do, right? What you can do is create a playful environment with your kids. You could declutter your home and create a pleasant space at home. You could set up a great flow to your day of how to handle this new reality. You could be setting up relationships on Skype or on Zoom with other people. You could be doubling down on all the books you've wanted to read and all the thoughts you wanted to build and all the puzzles you wanted to do, right? There are so many other ways to spend that energy, uh, actually just obsessing over people who might be suffering right now. I mean, you could do that all year long. It's not actually contingent on the coronavirus. It's available to you at any time. Okay, let me catch up with some of these comments and then I'll tell you the third, um, the third question that I like to ask myself. So Amy says, trying to make the staying home from preschool and work fun and exciting, fun family time. And that family time will help protect the vulnerable people we know exactly. And I will tell, I, that's exactly leading into my third point. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Monica says, all schools in my province are closed for three weeks. So many parents with extra stress and expense to work through. Absolutely. Gabriella says, hey boss lady, can't believe I caught you live. Hey Gabriella, I'm so happy you did. Um, okay, so, um, Monica says, kids are totally going to remember how the pandemic felt in their home rather than the details of the actual virus. That's a hundred percent true. And it's a hard truth that that is one of the few things we control at the moment is the story we are telling ourselves about this and our kids are forming about this, right? The story around it. Is this uh, a, a terrible crisis? Is this incredibly dangerous? Is the world coming to an end? Are we in danger? Is this the worst thing we've ever seen? Is terrible times coming? Is it apocalyptic? All of that stuff, those stories, those words, you know, or, 
Yeah, this isn't easy, but we can do hard things. Yes, the world's seen worse than this. We've been through crisis in the past and we'll get through this too. There are plenty of blessings in this situation as well, etc. Those are flip side stories that are focusing on strength, resilience, grit, ability to get through adversity. We read these things in the parenting book. Now is the time to actually put it into action, right? Now is the time on a global scale that we all need to put it into action. Um, Amy says, yes, this, I'm really working through my emotions so I can be calm and grounded and help my kids with any emotions. Although I think most of this won't impact them as much as they are nine months and three. My three-year-old hasn't seen any change to his life yet. He'll miss some preschool, but I think he'll enjoy being home too. Right. Um, Carolina, hi from Rome, just going crazy all these days at home. Yes, it is not easy. Uh, Christine says, I'm practicing social distancing, not quarantine. Okay, great differentiation for those who have that available. Wonderful. So the two questions, just to catch up anyone just joining me, is who do I want to be, right? When adversity strikes, when stress strikes, we ask ourselves, who do I want to be? What light can I shine into this world? Can I show up as my best self, right? How can I help? What can I actually do, right? Does this help, right? Does me scrolling through Facebook 20 times a day help? Does it help anyone? And does it help me? And finally, um, how, what are the blessings? Where are the blessings in this situation? How can I double down, okay, and focus on the blessings? How is this actually serving me? And it might sound taboo or, um, you know, provocative, right, or irreverent to say that there are blessings in this situation, but there are blessings in every single situation. And the truth is that if all the other parameters stay the same, if you're stuck at home with your kids anyway for the next two weeks, or the next three months, or the next year, right, if uh, the world spirals into insane economic downfall and there's a massive recession, if there are hundreds or millions more of hundreds of thousands or millions of people who die from coronavirus, if everything goes the worst possible case scenario, we have two options. Just like the people did in the Great Plague or in the Great Recessions or in the Holocaust, in any other, uh, you know, you know, terrible crisis that humanity has seen, they always had options around the stories they told themselves and the focus that they put in that scenario, right? The focus that they chose to, to repeat, uh, that they chose as their mantra. And often this differentiation between the choice that we make with regards to our focus is what differentiates people who overcome the trauma, who rise from it, who manage it, who actually get stronger from it than those who don't survive it. And this isn't, I'm not talking about uh, medically here, I'm talking about mentally, right? So, um, so where are the blessings? How is this serving me? I mean, there are many terrible things happening because of the coronavirus, and there are many wonderful things happening too. Maybe the world is slowing down a little bit. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to turn inwards a little bit. Like it's forced turning inwards, forced mindfulness, forced coming back to our family unit or to our home space. Maybe this gives us a long-awaited uh, break 
from our whirlwind rat race. And yes, I know there are all of the downsides of this as well, right? There's the economic downsides of it. There's the health downsides. There are many people who, for whom this isn't a blessing. My, my question to you is to ask, how is this serving me in some way, right? Is it showing me suddenly what friendships I have? Is it showing me my strengths? Is it suddenly a special time with my children and my family? Am I suddenly discovering that I'm actually you know, more creative than I thought, that I'm a problem solver, that I can figure things out, right? At times of crisis, we learn where our strengths lie. We learn about flexibility. We learn about grit. We learn about how to actually detach a little bit from the things we're so attached to. We think to ourselves that we can't survive without this or we can't survive without that. And suddenly here we are surviving, right? What does that teach us about ourselves? So we learn that we're more flexible than we thought, that we're more resourceful, right? We learn to simplify our lives and our schedules, and it's out of force, right? It's out of force of the situation. But suddenly, can you imagine as we bounce back from that, as we come uh, come out of that, it's a rebirthing of sorts, right? If this is the birth canal, as we come out of that situation of the compressed, tight, you know, the most kind of airless space there is, we come out of that reborn because we have managed with less, yeah? So this is a, a way to juxtapose many of the things that we thought were necessary in our lives, that we thought we need, uh, that we thought makes up a good life, and suddenly to call those into question and to re-examine, to re-examine how our lives look, right? Maybe this is a time of great reflection. Maybe this is a time where we can actually really connect in a way that we don't usually get the chance to do, right? And reevaluate our values and what we need in our lives, right? So my call to you in this third point is to come into the present moment with me now. Are you currently safe? You know, do you currently have air to breathe in your lungs and food to sustain you and water to sustain you? Do you have shelter? Are your children safe with you? You know, if the answer is yes to these questions, then we're okay, right? We are okay. There may be many things that we want to happen, but our needs, our basic needs are being met. Our needs are being met because you're here listening to me, because your heart is pumping, because your lungs are breathing, because the world is spinning. So it can feel like a standstill, but in actual fact, when you come back into the present moment, it isn't. And we need to put our focus here. I know maybe you're like me. I'm a planner. I love planning out the next few months. I have lots of different events coming up. And I very much hope that they will go through, right? But there is such a great lesson of surrender in just kind of realizing that there are greater forces at play than me, right? And that the world has a different plan. There's this phrase that says, you know, human beings plan and God laughs, right? And and this is God laughing and he has one heck of a sense of humor, right? So some of it is funny, some of it is less funny, but as long as we're not in real, you know, actual imminent danger, we get to see the blessings in the situation. We get to experience it in that way. And that might be helpful for our children to witness as well, right? We have to remember the world has been through many apocalypses, many ends of days, many dark and difficult times. And there is the phrase that what doesn't kill us, make us makes us stronger for a reason. Because when we go through challenge, it, if we allow it to, it will strengthen us. It will rebirth us. It will give us 
a newfound sense of meaning, of identity, of proportion, of perspective, of self-awareness, of self-knowledge, right? So I'm just going to catch up on these final comments. Um, Christine says, my message to my kids is that we might or will probably get sick and it will be like the flu or fever or snivels, but we don't want everyone to get sick all at once. Okay, Carolina says, my three-year-old is really angry. He's missing his forest school. Yeah, and we're all dealing with big emotions coming up, right? With anger, with, with, with just confusion, with concern, with a ton of fear. Um, and I think the truth is none of us really know exactly what's going on. There are so many different opinions and none of us know how long this is going to last. It could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years. We don't really know. But given we have the choice of how to perceive it, right? Given we have the choice of what to focus on, why don't we choose to focus on what serves us, on what feels good right now? Look, if we're all going to die in a week, we might as well really enjoy this week, right? And I'm not saying that we will. I don't at all believe that to be true. I'm just saying even if that was the worst case scenario, still, still the fear and the worry and the anxiety and all of that doesn't serve us. It still doesn't help us. And so we get to choose what stories we tell about this, right? We get to say if it's a big deal or not a big deal, if it's something we can handle or not handle, if it's something that we are going to overcome or not going to overcome. And I want to just remind you of a lot of research around trauma where two people can experience the exact same event on the outside and one person will be traumatized and one person won't. And we can tell that uh, in lots of different ways. But one of the ways is how cohesively they can tell the story of what happened to them. Can they make sense of it, right? If someone's been through something that objectively would seem like a trauma, but they can cohesively, chronologically tell the story about it in a way that makes sense, then they are psychologically not traumatized. And so this might be a very challenging situation for you, but I want to encourage you to be cohesive about it, to make sense of it, you know, to have a chronological story around this is what went on. This happened, which led to this, which has led to this, and now we're in this situation, and here's where it might go. It makes a certain sense, right? We don't particularly like it. We wish it didn't happen, but we can handle it and we can make a story that strings together well, right? We're not frazzled. We're not frantic. We're not going back and forward in time. We're not confused about what happened. Now, of course, this isn't a confusing situation, but if we can make sense of it to ourselves and to our children, right? In a, you know, you can imagine someone who's truly overcome, say they went through some terrible trauma in their childhood, right? Say they were sexually abused. If someone doesn't ever deal with that, they have a lot of com conflicting voices in their heads and a lot of back and forth confusion and panic. Someone who's gone through the process of healing psychologically from that trauma, they're able to say, you know, I was left alone with this person. They did this and this to me. It caused me to feel this and this. Uh, over the course of the next few years, I dealt with it with these and these coping mechanisms. I now fully understand what has happened to me. And I understand my strengths and how I, you know, can heal from the situation and move forward in my life. And then they are liberated from that trauma. It happened, but it didn't hold them hostage. So I'll, I'll finish off, um, you know, sorry, I'll, I have one closing thought, but I just want to catch up with some of these ideas. Christine says, such a good opportunity to slow down and enjoy each other. Exactly. Estelle says, I said the same. 
Um, listening from Saudi Arabia. Hello, Estelle. How amazing is this? How amazing is this? This is a blessing, you know? Like, we're all coming together because we can, because technology allows it. And this is absolutely a blessing. Okay, Caroline says, very helpful. Thanks. Alina says... Um, so Tamara says, I'm rescripting to, we get to, we get to stay home. Yeah. Um, Jennifer says, I'm trying to just keep things as normal as I can. Your advice gave me some good things to keep in mind. Thanks. Absolutely. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. And, um, yeah, thank you for all the love, everyone. Welcome to anyone just joining us now. You can catch the replay. Um, but here's, here's the closing thought that I wanted to, that I wanted to offer is that as, as we look at a negative situation, and the truth is none of us really know what negative and positive is, right? We don't really know. It seems like we know what a bad thing is. But as I just spoke to a client of mine who was in the, who, who, who actually is in a great space now, but she was sharing that when she was in the throes of her divorce, for example, she thought it was the most awful thing that could happen to her. She was deeply depressed, deeply anxious, and felt complete failure, etc. right? Because she was going through the divorce. And now that she is mar- remarried and happily married, she realizes that that was one of the best things that could have happened to her. Now, I'm not suggesting that people dying is a good thing that's happening to us. But I am suggesting that everything that we perceive to be negative, it's a little bit arrogant or just misguided, ignorant of us to put that judgment on things. We don't actually know what's for the best and what's not for the best. We don't actually know what leads to what or how things are, you know, are to be in, judged. We don't have that type of perspective. You need a much broader perspective over the course of many histories, right? Many hundreds of thousands of years to understand how these things are supposed to evolve and develop. We don't have control over how it's going to develop. There's very little that we can do. What we can do is choose our approach to it and how we filter it in, how we accept it. And what we can do is play the game of life, right? This is the game of life. And now we're, you know, go to jail, don't pass go, don't collect 200. Okay, right? Like I'm going. I roll the dice and this is what's happening, right? And the surrender in that is, is, is liberating, right? It's liberating. It's kind of cool when you think about it that way. It's just going with the flow and the curiosity of how is the world going to develop and how are humans going to behave and what is going to occur. And so our children are here learning all of this from us right now. They're here watching us and learning whether they're tiny, whether they're not. And we get to decide whether this is traumatic for us or not. Some people don't have that choice, right? Some people are in the hospital battling for their lives. But most of us have the choice over where we, whether we see this as a crisis internally Externally, it's a crisis, but whether we experience it as one internally, I've got to say like my kids, for example, I'll just give you an example. And I know I'm lucky in this, but my kids don't really understand what's good. They don't really, not that they don't understand. They understand. They know the details of what's going on with the coronavirus. They don't feel it. They don't feel anxious, right, about it. They're just like, huh, that's interesting. So this is getting cancer. So we're staying home. So we're not doing this. We're not doing it. Interesting, Right. It's more of a curiosity and like, huh, okay, like plot twist, woohoo, right, for them. Because it's just not on my particular agenda to feel uh, anxious about it, right? And this is because in my past, I overcame severe PTSD and I swore to myself, anxiety would never paralyze me like that again. And I'm trying to keep that promise to myself, right? 
And so that is that is my main message. All right, let me go over these these three questions for you just to summarize, which is who do I want to be? How can I actually help? And what are the blessings, right? How does this serve me? So I very much hope this was helpful. Hit me up with any questions you might have around this or anything else. And I'm sending so much love and strength and health vibes and absolute 100% relentless mofo commitment to positivity, optimism, belief, faith, grace, gratitude, and the belief in our resiliency and grit and capacity to overcome even the most the, even the biggest challenges. We have it within us. We've got this. All right, guys. Mwah, mwah. Bye.